0: We're going to start out in John 14 this morning and bounce around from there. <clears throat> Throughout this next year, during the half dozen times I get to preach, we'll take a look at some of Jesus' most audacious declarations about himself. Every time he declares, I am, if you go back in John chapter 8 and read down after he pretty much slaps the Pharisees with, You are of your father, the devil. He says, before Abraham was, I am. He declares himself to be God. Some people would argue that, ah, he really didn't mean that. But you know that he was declaring that because they picked up stones to stone him. And Jesus didn't go, hey, hey, no, 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 you misunderstood what I said. He didn't. He owned it. Every time he declares, I am, he provokes an intense reaction in his hearers. Some want to kill him. Some want to walk away because they are so flipped out in the tables of their minds that they don't even know what he's talking about. Some didn't get it, and they clung to him anyway. We have the blessing of hindsight and the fullness of Scripture and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit And we do not need today to be knotted up as they were. And so we are going to bask and bathe in the I Am statements of Jesus Christ throughout the year. So as we start here today, let's beg God to guard our hearts and minds and my lips here this morning. Father, Your Word is holy it is good it is right it is true oh Jesus you are the living word when we open the pages of scripture we see you we know that heresies have been birthed in pulpits in the past and so I beg even now that you would guard my lips Heresies have been birthed in the pews, and so I beg God that you would guard the hearts and minds of all present today, that you would be glorified high and lifted up, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, that you would be honored here in the preaching of your word, we beg in Jesus' name, amen. If I were to introduce myself to you, I would tell you something about myself. You know, I am from Mesa, Arizona. I grew up playing hockey. Uh, I served in the military. I tell you about what I have done. I'm married. I have grandkids. I've got sons and daughters. I tell you about myself. Rarely do we say, I am. On the night before he was executed, Jesus told his disciples, In John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except by me. Since you guys don't have three hours, you don't have the cushion, and I don't have the voice, we're not going to cover all of those today. We're just going to look at his statement, I am the life. He said the same thing to Martha a week earlier. Jeremy read that. When he declared to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. Everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? Do we, today, believe this? What is the extent and the substance of what Jesus is saying when he says, I am the life? That's where we will turn Today, the first thing we're going to address is that when he says he is the life, he is declaring himself to be the author and sustainer of life. He is the creator of life. Let's first look at the fact that he is the creator of physical life. Now, in his statement, I am, God is saying Christ is saying, I exist. Nothing made him. In him is the power of existence itself. If you want a fancy word, the word is aseity. He has the power of self-existence. He is pure being. God is life. There is one being, only one being, in all the realm of reality that is uncaused, and that is God. He exists, and as such, He is the source of all existence. By, everything, by Him, everything else came into be, and we will see that declared specifically in the Word here in a moment. But understand that this is physically satisfying, or not physically satisfying, psychologically satisfying. Everything we see has an origin. Where'd the water come from? Well, probably the sky or maybe a well. We can break it down further and go hydrogen and oxygen together and go, well, where'd that come from? And where'd that come from? But where'd that come from? And we're going to end up in an infinite regress. We're going to keep going back to go, where did that come from? And where did that come from? Until we're out of time. We go that there's got to be, there has to be a beginning. And the scientific realm posits no beginning. But God's word tells us that he is the beginning. He is the self-existent one. Jesus made the declaration, I am the life. To say this, he is declaring himself to be creator and sustainer in John chapter 1 verse 3 he says John declares all things were made through him and without him was not anything made that was made he is the maker of all things Hebrews declares the same thing through whom also God created the world through Jesus Christ Without Him was not anything made that was made. So if you imagine a circle. And put in that circle every created thing. What is outside of that circle? God. Every created thing is within the circle. What is uncreated? God. God the Father God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Colossians 1, verse 15. Turn there with me. A substantial statement about the glories of God the Son as Creator. Colossians 1, 15 through 17. Paul writes to the Church of Colossae, He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by Him all things were created, in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions, rulers or authorities. All things were created through Him and for Him. He is before all things, and in Him all things hold together. The idea of firstborn doesn't mean He was the first created thing. Firstborn is rank. He is the highest rank of all creation. He is the firstborn. Nothing outranks him. What did he create? Everything. Paul Paul goes, just in case you're not getting where I'm tracking, he lists the things that he created. Uh, Things visible and invisible. Things in heaven and on earth. Thrones, dominions, authorities. Everything. Everything. Everything created by Him. Not only were they created by Him, they were created for Him. God does all things for His glory. In Isaiah 43, 7, we see that God has created humanity for His glory. In that soaring psalm, Psalm 19, we see that the heavens declare the glory of God. All things proclaim God's glory. There is no higher thing. We are what God intends us to be when we are bringing Him glory. In our words, in our deeds, in our hearts, and in our minds. All things created through Him and for Him. Verse 17 notes that He precedes all things. He's outside the ring. He's outside the circle. Before, in the beginning, Genesis 1, in the beginning, God. What was in the beginning? God. What else? God. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit in perfect fellowship. He precedes all things. In him, all things hold together. That's phenomenal. That is a phenomenal thought and a phenomenal concept. Most of us don't even consider such things. But when you get down on the atomic level and consider all the things that are orbiting and cohering and staying together to make atoms and molecules and cells in your body, we have to understand what Elihu in Job 34 declares when he says, if he, God, should set his heart to it, and gather to himself his spirit and his breath, all flesh would perish together and man would return to dust. I'll take it further, if God said so, we would cease. God has the power of our existence. He could speak and we would be no more. We've been so indoctrinated in modern science that you are just a product of naturally occurring systems that the truth of our very being escapes us. Every atom in every molecule, in every cell of your body is marching to a drumbeat orchestrated by God. Go on the big scale. Every planet, every solar system, every galaxy is spinning and turning at the orchestration of God. R.C. Sproul notes that if there is one single molecule in this universe running around loose, totally free from God's sovereignty, then we have no guarantee that a single promise of God will ever be fulfilled. God's sovereign hand. There are some who are Avengers fans. And they think of Thanos snapping his fingers and things starting to fall apart. If God were to do that, you'd never see him snap his fingers. And you'd never realize he had done that. You would just cease to be. But God is not so capricious. God has purpose and God has plan. And as he has created each, so we will live and so each will be judged. This is Jesus Christ, the author and sustainer of life. But it's not just physical life that Christ brought into being. He brought into life, brought into existence, spiritual life. God created us body and spirit. That is intended to be a unity. Those were never intended to be splintered off. The fall brought about the dismemberment, if you will, of body and spirit. Luke tells us that God is the one who creates both body and spirit. Do not fear the one who can destroy just the body. Fear the one who can destroy both body and soul, body and spirit in hell. One day there will be a reunion of body and spirit for all, either to... Rejoice in glory, or to suffer in eternal torment. As we worship here together, we worship in body and spirit. The joy and exuberance that is taking place in our body or in our spirit is is exhibited through our bodies. It it's, it is all a unity. You're not thinking of well. I better engage my spirit so that my body moves appropriately. It is all happening properly. As we sing, as we pray, as we perhaps cry and rejoice. We are penitent, we give thanks. we love body and spirit. You've got to understand, too, that there may come a time where our bodies will be broken. And I can't say anymore. My spirit remains. I can still call out to God, even in a broken body. And one day, restoration will take place. Jesus was sitting by the well in Samaria, and the woman came by and explained to her. That those who would worship God do not merely worship in body. They worship in spirit and in truth. They worship in spirit and in truth. It is not the place. This is not the place. It's not Mecca. It's not Jerusalem. Is that I can worship the living God even now in spirit and in truth. But I cannot worship as I wish. I have to worship in accordance with what he has declared. I can't come as I want to come. I have to come as He declares me to come. I can only come through the cross of Jesus Christ. We'll talk about that in another sermon. Jesus came so that we would know the truth. And that the truth would set us free. As there is a physical death, there is also a spiritual death. And as the physical death is bad enough, And we will all endure it unless Jesus comes. The spiritual death is worse. There is a second death. It is appointed for man to die once and then to face the judgment. Hebrews 9.27 Jesus warned his hearers in his final sermon in Matthew 24 and 25. He talked about the sheep and the goats, that God would separate the sheep and the goats. The sheep would come in to eternal life. The goats would go to the lake of fire, prepared for Satan and his angels for eternal torment. And Jesus Christ declares then that this is the second death. He says the same thing in Revelation 20, 11 through 15, at the end of all things. So what is the solution? Okay, physical death, we're all going to face it through condemnation. Hopefully each one here knows and comprehends that the only escape for the second death is the eternal life found in Jesus Christ. And that's our last point. Jesus Christ is not only the life of the physical. Jesus Christ is not only the life of the spiritual he is eternal life. Now, oftentimes we'll make a grave mistake considering eternal life. And we think, well, Jesus procured for us eternal life. Yeah, that's true, but that's incomplete. We think that Jesus punched my ticket to heaven. Yeah, but that's incomplete too. Our mindset is oftentimes that the end of the matter is the destination. The end of the matter is the person. The end of the matter is the person of Jesus Christ. In John one, or excuse me, First John five verse twenty, John writes, "We know that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding." so that we may know Him who is true. And we are in Him who is true, in His Son, Jesus Christ. He is the true God and eternal life. He didn't say He gives eternal life. He said Jesus is eternal life. A few verses earlier, John notes that eternal life is in the Son. If we have the Son, we have life. If we do not have the Son, we do not have life. Think of Job, R.C. Sproul, notes that when Job had questions, I want answers. You know, I'm I'm suffering. I want answers. How did God answer Job? He didn't answer one of his questions. He just revealed himself to Job. Job, I'm not answering your questions. Here am I. I'm going to give you something better than an answer to your questions. Me. Me. I give you me. Eternal life is in the Son. Eternal life is Jesus Christ. Jesus echoed the same thing as he prayed to God the Father. This is eternal life in John 17, 3, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. This is eternal life, that we might know him. It is him. Jesus is preparing a people for Himself. To have intimate relationship with Him. Titus 2.14 Paul declares to the young pastor We are waiting for our blessed hope the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior Jesus Christ who gave Himself for us to redeem us yes, from all lawlessness and to purify for Himself a people for His own possession." This is the bride of revelation. Ephesians chapter 5, as Paul goes to exhort husbands to love their wives, we see perhaps the most vivid picture of this intimacy between us and the Son in eternal life. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. So, in the same way, husbands, you should love your wives as your own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself, for no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes it. And cherishes it just as Christ does the church. Because we are members of His body. He goes on to say, this mystery is profound. I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. Eternal life for us is intimacy with Christ. So now, Jesus Christ is the life. He is physical life. He is spiritual life. He is eternal life. Hopefully now, hopefully each one here has seen the wretchedness of their sin. And we understand that there is no hope for us. There isn't. We all will face physical death and Some of us will face the second death, spiritual death, unless we come to the cross of Christ. I see my wretchedness. I see that His death paid my debt. His life becomes my life, and I become grafted into His body. And He cleanses and nourishes His own body. In communion with Him now, we look forward to the consummation of, In our glorious future with Him. So now I see my wretchedness. So now I strive not to become enamored and enticed by the things of this world. To put these things off. How do I do that? Paul gives just a great encouragement in Colossians chapter 3. For he says, if you then have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on things that are on the earth. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, hear what he says here. When Christ who is your life appears, Then you will appear appear with Him in glory. Christ who is your life. Brothers and sisters, let us set our minds on things above. (coughs) Strive after Christ who is our life. Let me encourage you also to kindle your affections with proximity. Kindle your affections with proximity. I mean... It's it's hard to be affectionate with somebody if they're not there. I have to be with them. I have to communicate with them. The greatest commandment is to love God. That's not merely to have an affection in my heart. It is to be directed toward him. Francis Schaeffer noted this. He said, our call is first to be the bride of Christ faithful. But that is not the total call. The call is not only to be the bride faithful, but to be the bride in love. That we would love our groom, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. That we would be in proximity to him in his word. That we would be in proximity to him in prayer. That we would be in proximity to him as we are now. In the fellowship of the Holy Spirit as the church. So saints, let me exhort you and encourage you to ponder the glories of this physical life, to ponder the reality of our spiritual lives and to be sobered by the reality of our physical death and the hell that awaits many in the second death. But for those who are in Christ to savor the eternal life we enjoy as the bride of Christ even now. Jesus Christ says, I am the life. So let us cling to that life, to savor that life, to worship that life, Him. To draw from Him and enjoy eternal fellowship with Him. And even now we are going to enjoy communion with Him as we remember His glories. Let's bow our hearts and minds together. Father... What a reality. There is no life apart from you. That we now have fellowship with the Son. That we can call Him brother. That we have been adopted into your family. Lord if any here do not know you. As Christ and Savior let today be the day of salvation. Let them see their sin and turn to the free gift of eternal life in Christ Jesus and be redeemed. Father, be glorified in Your church and the preaching of Your Word. We beg in Jesus' name. Amen.